Well, good morning. You know, this past week, uh, my wife, Erin, and I had the opportunity to head out to uh, Florida. We went to a conference. Uh, some of our other staff here at the church did as well. And, uh, you know, this is what it looks like uh, when you get to go and be without your kids for a few days. Uh, this is uh, my wife as a stay-at-home mom, and so she was even more excited than I was. Uh, just some time together. Uh, it was awesome. So we flew out and uh, landed in the Orlando airport and got our baggage, headed to a rental car station. We received this, like, brand new car. It had a, just like had like a thousand miles on it. Um, and uh, we just headed out for, for some time to, to rest and rejuvenate the following day. Uh, uh, we, uh, we had one day between uh, when we got there and when the conference started, so we decided to head to the beach. And so we made our way um, over to uh, the, uh, the coast side and got out to the beach and uh, spent some time out there. And uh, afternoon shower rolled in, kind of uh, we hustled to the car and went and got some ice cream. By the time we had eaten our ice cream, um, the, uh, the, the clouds had parted, and we were like, let's, let's head back to the beach. And so uh, we, we had small amounts of stuff, right? We didn't have the kids with us, and so we're, we're used to, like, lugging around, you know, 50 zillion things. Some of you parents are like, I know where, what, what you're talking about, right? Um, we didn't have all that stuff with us, so we, we just had a towel, uh, our towels, and we had a cell phone, and then we also had a, uh, uh, the keys to the car. And so we set our towels down, and uh, we decided just to walk down, down the edge of the beach. And as we walked... Uh, you know, just one of those moments of like total bliss, right? You're just like enjoying what God has brought to you. The waves are just coming in, crashing in, and it's just a beautiful day. Uh, time with your your uh, your spouse is uh, is always time to be cherished uh, when you have a couple toddlers, um, and that was great for about five minutes until we realized we had dropped the rental car keys. Uh oh, right? As uh, soon as we realized it, it was like frantic search up and down the coast of the uh, of Florida. We're like searching, looking as the waves are just billowing in just one after another. And I'm thinking there is not a chance in the world that we're going to find these, these keys. And so we looked and looked and looked. And uh, you know what the first thought that came to my mind was? Why did God let this happen to me? Right? And, and, you know, four hours later, after you're on the automated, like, phone systems, like, just give me a live person, dang it. I just want to talk to somebody in person and, and conversations and uh, tow trucks and all this stuff. We got into another car and we were on our way. But, but I asked that question, why did God allow this to happen? You ever asked that question before? Why did God make this happen to me? Or maybe you've asked it like this, why does why, does bad, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Many of you submitted that type of question to us as we've been in this series asking for a, uh, for a friend. You've, you've asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does a loving God make such difficult things happen in our world? Maybe you've asked a question like this before. Why would God let an unborn baby be aborted but not let a healthy family have children? Or why do natural disasters happen in our world that cause chaos and death? Or why did that accident have to take their life? Or why were they diagnosed with cancer? Or why did I lose my job? Or why did God allow that poor child to go through that abuse and neglect? If God is so loving, then why did you fill in the blank? Right? You've asked that question before. I would, I would beg to believe that many, if not all of you, have asked it. That type of question, right? And that's an accusation we bring to God when we oftentimes don't understand. It's an accusation we bring to God often when we're experiencing pain 
or illness or sorrow in our own lives, it's, it's usually really personal. It's usually something that has, uh, that has uh, made us question our faith. I believe it's oftentimes the adversary's greatest trick. Right? He is called the father of lies for a reason, and he'll take a half-truth and a whole lie, and he'll twist it to make you think that this was God's doing. So I want to hear, I just want to hand you some truth today, some really practical truth to this question of why do bad things happen to good people? The first truth is this, there are no good people. Right? You, you look in scripture, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says this, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who sees God. And on into verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, our goodness is subjective in nature in comparison to one another. That's what often gets us in trouble, right? Is that we like to compare ourselves to others, don't we? Right? We, we watch the news and we hear about somebody that, uh, right, so, some sort of murder that's taken place. We've heard about infidelity. We've heard about fraud. We've heard about greed. And what's, what do we think? Well, I'm not doing that, so I am what? I am better than them. It's subjective, right? We know the neighbor and how the neighbor treats people. And we're like, well, we're better than the neighbor, right? We, we've watched the coworker take the company for years. And we think, well, I, I've done better than that. Now, we, 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 we may look at somebody in the, the grocery store. I told you the illustration last week about my son getting his lungs, right, and uh, how he's thrown a few fits in the grocery store, right? And you're like, my kid's never done that, right? I must have a better control on them. And so when we compare ourselves to one another, we always find one of two things. Either we are doing something better or we are doing something worse. So we either feel bad about ourselves or we make ourselves puff up and we feel good. That's why Romans 3.23 doesn't say half have fallen short of the goodness and half have done enough, right? It doesn't say that because comparison lends us, uh, it lends us to, to think that we are good and that for some reason we deserve something. But scripture is pretty clear. We've all fallen, more, we've all fallen short of the mark that God has set for us. No one has hit the bullseye outside of Christ. Thus our goodness is objective in comparison to the perfection that God has called us to. Right? It's been said like this, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that only happened once, and he volunteered. That was Jesus. He volunteered to come to this earth to live the perfect life and to die a, a sinner's death. There are no good people. There are just people that are less bad than us, but not, no, no one is good. And one sin or a million sins, right? We've all broken the relationship that God wanted to have with us, which leads us to the second thing. Sin has triggered the bad things, right? Sin is the great problem causer, right? Sin has caused war between nations. It's caused conflict between individuals. Sin's caused anxiety and fear and, and death. It's caused sorrow and illness and all kinds of natural and human-influenced disasters, if you want, you can open up to the Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, uh, we hear of the fall of Adam and Eve, right? And we hear of the curse that it really cursed us in three disruptive relationships, right? Now because of three major divides that happened when sin entered the equation, all right? The first is this. Sin triggered a broken relationship between God and us. Sin, Sin broke the relationship that God intended, right? It says in Romans 6, that the wages of sin is death. Men and women were separated from God. Became, they became subject to spiritual death. Or as Isaiah 59 verse 2 puts it, 
It says, but your iniquities have made a separation, right, between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God has always desired to walk in lockstep with mankind. Like, God has always wanted to shower us with goodness. God is a God of life. And when God created, he had you in mind. I, I love to think about this, right? And we, we hear the creation story, and we hear of all the things that God created, and he knew. He knew that mankind was coming, and so he created all these things with us in mind. Light to see, forests to explore, animals to be in awe. Uh, these, these were all gifts to us, but this gift pales. These gifts pale in comparison to the greatest gift that God wants to give to us. Just like a father, right? A fa as a father or a mother to your children, right? Don't you like love showering your kids with gifts, right? It's awesome to see children's faces at, at Christmas time or at their birthday, and they get something that they've always wanted, and, and they're smiling, and they're happy, but that will pale. That gift will pale in comparison to the, the greatest gift that you can give a child. It's a relationship, right? And God wanted to give us a relationship with him. No possession is going to ever outweigh the relationship. But, but, well, there was a divide. There was a separation. The relationship that we have with God now is not the way it was intended. The second thing is this. It triggered a frustration between creation and us. Sin caused mankind to be at, uh, at uh, odds with nature, right? From the moment that uh, sin entered the equation, the earth would resist mankind's effort to, uh, to control it, uh, to cultivate it. Genesis chapter 3, it says it like this, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. Thorns and thistles is, a, is an analogy to the hurt that we're going to experience, the difficulty that's going to happen on this earth. Right? Jesus had a, a crown of thorns shoved down on his brow. The relationship between earth and us has been broken. Man's dominion and rule over earth was broken. It caused that labor. It caused that toil. The health of the earth's life and biological order has been affected. Animals have become extinct. Animals have become endangered. That was not a part of God's original plan. And the planet itself has come under a curse of brokenness and disintegration. Look, the planet's like a fragile egg. And I don't want to get into too much scientific stuff about tectonic plates and all this crazy stuff because I'm not a scientist. I'm a preacher. Um, and I'll say something that probably doesn't make sense at that point. Um, but we know this from scripture, that the earth actually, it says in Romans 8, that the earth is groaning. The earth is groaning in, as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, you, you name the natural disaster. And that is a consequence of sin and the fragility that has been placed on the earth and the brokenness of mankind and the earth. This is not the earth that God intended for us. The third thing is this, sin triggered separation of people from one another, right? It's caused some, some conflict, hasn't it? You, you've been in conflict. Maybe you walked in this morning in a little bit of conflict with the, the person uh, next to you, and you're, you have a little bit of tension in the relationship. We can't be in right relationship with one another. We see that, actually, in Genesis 4, right? Just the chapter later, Genesis 3, we hear about the fall of mankind. Genesis 4, what do we hear about? Cain killing his brother, Abel, out of greed. 
right? He takes his, his brother's life. And so because of sin, there has been issues like domestic violence and abuse and rape and anger and miscommunication and frustration and divorce, all kinds of divide between us and one another. Sin is the fuel, right? Sin is the fuel to the engine of pain in this world. Bad is the consequence of sin that, that we've caused, that the person beside you has caused. Yet while we know this in our heart, there's still this check, right? There's still this wonder. Yeah, but if God was so powerful, right? That's what we start to think. If God was so powerful, then, then why, does, why does this keep happening? So let me tell you this. God allows it, but he does not orchestrate it. For some reason, I think uh, we, we picture God like sitting high and aloft looking down on our lives. And, and he's like, oh, look what they did today. Uh, I'm going to scribble this into the book of life. They're going to go through this pain and sorrow. Like you've probably heard it said like this. Like, oh, you must have made God, God, uh, God mad. Or, man, God must be trying to get your attention. Ever heard anybody say that? Er, wrong. doesn't work like this. God doesn't orchestrate bad things in your life in order to get your attention or to make you go through pain. Now, he allows it, but why does he allow it? Why, why does he, he allow us to go through these things? The scripture would tell us because he's wanting to bring about salvation to his people. I love how 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. It's so very clear. God wants everyone. God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth, which is there is only one God, and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Jesus was truly human, and he gave himself to rescue all of us. Right? The, the pain and the suffering in this world, it can, it can actually point us to a joy and a wholeness that can be found in Christ. Our present difficulties can point us to a future peace. And the moment God wraps up this earth, think about it like this. The moment that God decides, okay, it's over right? You want me to take care of it? I'll end it. It's the moment that we get to spend an eternity in heaven, those of us that are in Christ. But anybody that's not, start thinking about your friends, your family. That's the moment that, that they're condemned. That's the moment that they, their decision is, is final. And I think God is holding out, knowing that there are more that are going to accept the message of Jesus and we get to be the front end of the line. We get to be the tip of the spear as his church to point more to Christ so that everyone, he wants everyone to be saved. So Romans 8, verse 28 says this. It's probably a familiar passage to some of you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Despite evil's stranglehold on us, God is at work. Like, I like to think that it's, that our God is much more powerful than a God that would be up puppeteering his puppets, right? Like, oh, okay, I'm going to make everything perfect, and so I'm going to make their decisions for them. That's, that's the idea of the puppeteer, right? But God has breathed life into us, his, his beloved. He's allowed us to make our own decisions, free will decisions. And yes, we have chosen sin, we've chosen difficulty, we've chosen pain, but amidst that, he can still work out the end of the story. He can still take what was difficult and use it for, for good. Maybe that's why Christ promised us suffering. He, he said this. Just so you guys know, these are Jesus's words in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. 
right? So I don't know where we got this idea that this world was supposed to be perfect and we weren't supposed to go through problems because, well, guess what? Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And maybe that's why Paul, inspired by God uh, in the throes of his own suffering, said this. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Right? God isn't orchestrating the bad in our life. So then what exactly does that mean for us? Like bad things are going to happen. You are going to be going through pain and difficulty. You are going to have problems that arise in your life. You ever heard the slogan, right? If the world gives you lemons, what? Make, make lemonade, right? What's that mean? It means we need to have a change of perspective. And perspective is everything when it comes to this. All right, so let me give you a little bit of perspective. Let's show up this, this picture, right? Look at this, this handsome young, young fella, right? Sitting on the cliff, such a daredevil, like no, you know, single ladies, don't stumble right now, all right? He, he's such a daredevil. Let me give you a little bit of perspective, all right? Let's see this other photo, all right? He's not really sitting on a cliff. He's sitting about four feet off the ground, and the local plumber's taking his picture, if you can see this, this in here, uh, right? I mean, this isn't anything special, all right? He, he just, he's made, you got to change your perspective to understand what it looks like. Or maybe it's like this cartoon, right? I love it, right? Two guys, two totally different experiences. One's looking in. He's looking at the cliffs. He's, he's fearful and afraid, and one's looking out. He's looking at the, the beauty that is all around him. Faith is all about perspective, isn't it? When difficulties arise, we have to, we have to shift our eyes from the difficulty and find our hope in God, right? You see, the presence of God will not always fix your problems, but it will clarify your perspective. So, so know this. Know that God is a God that flips the script. You hear the story of a man by the name of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. Um, and it's 14 chapters, so we're not going to be able to look at the whole story. But, but here's what I'll tell you. Joseph was the 11th born son to a man by the name of Jacob. And uh, Jacob was his dad. Now, the 11th born meant, meant something then. Now, what do you think? Well, like 11 kids, that's a lot of kids anyways. But 11 kids back then, that meant like the respect level for Joseph was little. Birthright was a big deal. So when you were born, your birth order um, had a lot to do with what you received. But, but Jacob has this special place in his heart for Joseph. And so Jacob, the father of Joseph, um, ha- he gives Joseph this, this beautiful robe of his that was significant to the love that he had for him. His brothers didn't like this. They were, they were a little miffed by this. And they're like, this, is, this isn't what, what we like. And then Joseph has this dream. He has a dream that his brothers are like bowing down to him. Why he goes off and says, hey, brothers, I have a dream that you're going to bow to me. I'm not quite sure. Like I was the youngest uh, brother and I would never have told my brother this because he probably would have tried to beat me up, right? And that's exactly what his brothers do. They don't just try to beat him up. They're like, let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. And so they, they take him off. They throw him in a cistern. Um, and uh, then one of the, the brothers is like, ah, we can't kill him, guys. Let's just sell him off into slavery. So that's what they do. They sell him off. He becomes a slave to a man by the name of Potiphar. And while he's the slave, Potiphar's wife um, decides to come on to Joseph, right? And she makes this advance on Joseph, which is a great story uh, for us as men. I love the response of Joseph, right? He flees from it. He runs from it. 
I think it's important for us in the culture that we live in that uh, when these types of circumstances and situations, whether they be uh, uh, advances from another woman other than our bride, or they be uh, things uh, on internet or technology, that we flee, we run from it. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He, he ran from it. Well, the, the wife flips the script. She tells a different story. She says, he came on to me. He tried to take advantage of me. He tried to rape me to her husband. Husband says, putting him in jail. So Joseph goes off to jail. Like, the guy gets knocked down. He gets up again. I mean, it just, it's one of those, like, total moments of, like, I can't just seem to get ahead. He gets into jail. He slowly uh, begins to work his way up in the ranks of the jail because he has this ability to interpret dreams. And uh, the leader of the nation, Pharaoh, learns of this. And he interprets a dream, and Pharaoh likes it so much that he puts him as his right-hand man. Suddenly now, 22 years later, we should say, not suddenly, right? Because uh, he's went through a lot of pain and a lot of difficult ways. Now, all of a sudden, he has this power and prestige, and he helps to see his nation go through this time of famine and to have food and wealth um, and be able to get through this difficult moment. And at the end of the story, in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers come to him, and here they are, the dream is being realized, and they are distraught and overwhelmed at what they have done to their brother, and he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, the truth is, I, I don't know what you're going through. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know what the world's throwing at you. There are going to be hundreds of people that walk into both of our campuses over the next hours, and I just don't know. I don't know what the problems are. I, I, don't, I don't know if you grew up in an abusive home. I don't know if you just got a terrible diagnosis. I, I don't know if you just lost your job. I don't know if you seem to get on your feet financially and then something else happens. Another expense arises. Maybe some of you have some decisions to be made on some difficult roads ahead. Maybe you lost a child or you lost a parent or you lost a spouse or you lost a friend. Maybe it's, if it's just not one thing, it just seems to be another. The world is throwing pain and difficulty your way, and the world will beat you to your knees, and it'll want to keep you there. But you know what? While you're on your knees, why don't you take some time and pray? Why don't you take some time and, and focus on God? Why, why don't you take some time and remind yourself of the God who is able to flip the script, to take something that was intended to harm you, and to use it for good? Because that's the God we serve. The second thing is this. Be the person that turns the page, right? Because aren't we quick to, we're so quick to count our hurts and slow to count our blessings, right? We, we, we are able to number all the pain in our life, but we, we oftentimes, we don't, we don't look at the good things in our life. I heard a story of a, a missionary, a friend of mine that uh, was working with Samaritan's Purse and uh, they were doing Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child is a, a ministry where they take and fill up shoe boxes full of uh, needed items, toys, uh, and uh, things like uh, soap and toothbrushes and coloring books. Just like a little care package for kids in third world countries. And so then these boxes go over. They're handed to these kids, probably the first present they've ever received in their life. And when they hit that present, they hear about who Jesus is, the greatest gift. And so it's such a cool ministry. And so all these shoeboxes are shipped over to this local missionary and a group of people, and they begin handing them out to all the local kids. And the kids are flocking to them, and as they're handing them out, they're telling them about Jesus. And then the day is kind of closing in, and they're, they're running out of shoeboxes. 
And sure enough, they get to the end of the day, and they have one shoebox, and I got a handful of kids. And so the missionary's like, we got to do something. So he starts, he opens up the box, and he starts giving out individual items. Toothbrush, toothpaste to one kid, coloring book and crowns to another, uh, a small yo-yo to a little boy. And gets to tell him to the very end, there's one kid left, and all the missionary has is the shoebox. And he hands the kid the shoebox, and the story goes that the kid smile lit across his face. And he went home running, sprinting home to tell his parents that he had gotten his very own shoebox. That's a totally different perspective, isn't it? He could have easily said, well, they all got this, and all I got was that. But he, he wasn't willing to, to count his hurts. He was, he was willing to count the good things in his life. What if, what if we tapped into that type of joy? What if we were people that, that didn't look for all the negativity in our worlds, but look for the positive things? I don't, I don't want to make light of your problems. I don't want, to, I don't want you to think that I've, I, I'm, I'm not having empathy for you. Maybe you lost a child, but God gave you friends and family to walk with you. Maybe you were diagnosed with a disease, but God has blessed us with doctors and hospitals like we have never had before. Maybe you lost your job. Guess what? The job market is probably the best it's ever been in quite some, some time. This works in practical things in life too, right? The car needs fixed. You have a car to fix. Thank goodness for that, right? right? The house needs cleaned. You have a roof over your head. The kids have to go every which direction. Guess what? You have healthy and thriving children. You lost your rental car keys on the beach, all right? You're with your wife in Florida on a beach, all right? you got to think about the positive things in life. Let's look to rattle off our praise and not to, to look at all the negativity in our world. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, Paul like epitomizes this. So Paul is in jail. He's in prison. He's writing this letter to uh, a church, to people that he loves. And it just kind of give you a, just a, my, my little paraphrase of this. Here's what Paul says. Well, if I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And if I don't die guess what? I get to tell more people about Jesus. Like, you can't steal the joy from this guy's life. It's like, kill me, and I get to go be with the Lord. Don't kill me, and I get to tell more people about who he is, right? What if we started turning the page? What if we started pointing to all the good that's happening in our life instead of looking at all the, the negative? And the final thing is this, light up the darkness, you know, there's a story of a, an island. It's called Castle Island. It's off the eastern coast of the Bahamas. It's a small island, uh, it's a little sandy beach area, but it has a lighthouse. That lighthouse is very, very key uh, for mariners in the area. It helps them to see the rocks and the reef that are around this area. And a story goes that a young man had, um, had docked a small sailboat just outside of the lighthouse and uh, had swam into shore and was just kind of stretching his legs, enjoying the beach. And he went by the lighthouse, and there was outside of the lighthouse, there really was nobody that lived on the island. There's a man by the name of Cedric um, that was uh, the lighthouse keeper. And he invited the young man in and said, hey, let's have dinner together. And they ate together and enjoyed their time. And then the young man said, can I see the, the lighthouse, like the top of it? I want to see what, what it is that helps me, helps me be guided at night. And so the, the man, Cedric Hanna was his name, took him up to the top. And he said the, the young boy was totally um, just aghast. About, about how small the light was. It was a small kerosene lamp, but that kerosene lamp, um, why you could barely maybe read a book on the edge of the light right there, was aided by mirrors and reflectors, and it was visible for up to 25 miles out to sea. Pretty wild to think about. You see, sin makes all of us bad. 
And bad things are going to happen because of sin. It's simply a part of the curse. But when we've been redeemed by Christ, we're called to be the light of the world. That's what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world, right? You are a town built on a hill, cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand to give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And some of you are like, I just can't do much. had an older lady in our congregation about a month ago. I had fallen and hurt herself, and she looked at me, and she said, Evan, she said, I just, I don't feel like I do anything for the church. I wish I could do more, which I love that attitude. Like, I wish I could do more attitude. And I'm like, whoa, 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 don't you underestimate the power of what you are doing. She's losing her eyesight. Um, She's struggling to get around and be mobile. And I said, she's like totally the opposite of what sometimes I've experienced in life with uh, folks that are coming to their their latter days in life. She's not grumpy. She's exciting. She's enjoyable to be around. She always is encouraging to me as a young minister. And I'm, I'm super thankful for her. But sometimes I think we look at things in our life and we're like, I don't know how much I can light up. But just like those reflectors and mirror, God reflects the little bit of light that we can throw off and he can use it to do a mass amount of difference. So we need to be people that light up the darkness. Or as Romans chapter 12 verse 21 puts it, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So what's that mean? It means maybe you see a child that's neglected and abused and you say, what do I do? You know that children are being, being, have this, this life right? Maybe you become a foster parent. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, you've recognized that women in our society are often objectified and you teach your, your sons and you yourself treat women with dignity and respect. Maybe when conflict arises, everybody knows that you're the person that's going to work to make peace. Maybe when racism rears its ugly head, you're the one that steps in the gap and treats everyone with kindness. Maybe when the marginalized feel judged again, and feel like people are treating them poorly, you're the one that shows them who Christ is and loves them. Maybe when evil seeks to destroy, you'll be the one that says, not on my watch. I will overcome it with good. You see, Christ is the hope of the world, but guess what? We are his ambassadors. We are his body. We are his hands, his feet. We're his convoy. We're his rescuers. We are the ones that have been sent out. We are the missionaries, his agent. We are the ones to light up the darkness. So why do bad things happen to good people? In short, sin. But in Christ, we've been washed clean. We have then been called to be the light. And our future is far greater than we could ever imagine. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, he has overcome the world. Or as Romans 8 puts it, I am sure, I am sure that what we are suffering now cannot compare to the glory that will be shown to us. What can we say about all this? If God is on our side, can anyone be against us? God did not keep back his own son, but he gave him for us. If God did this, won't he freely give us everything else? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble or suffering and hard times or hunger or nakedness or danger or death and everything? We have, we have won more than a victory because, because Christ who loves us. I am sure that nothing can separate us from God's love. Not life or death, not angels or spirits, not the present or the future, and not powers above or powers below. Nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord.